Why don't we go in and stand together? That way we'll already be, we'll already be in that posture. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Jesus' name, amen. While you're standing there, right here in Matthew chapter 6, read with me verse 12. Just prayed it, and then we'll read it, and then we'll talk about it. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, bring life to us through your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. We may be seated, of course. And now let's talk together from the scripture about forgiveness. What it is, what it means, what happens when God forgives you, and how God does forgive you. This past week, um, Abel had a soccer game in Wilmington. And he plays on the same team as Seth Morgan, and so Jonathan was kind enough to let us ride with him, and we took the drive down, and it was on Thursday, so the hurricane was kind of coming. We want to get the game in before the storm comes and get to halftime, and Julie always does such a great job of packing food for me on the way. She kind of knows he gets hungry and he'll need to eat. And so halftime comes, and I walk up to Jonathan, and I said, can, can I get the key to your car? This is where my food is. So he gives me the key, we go there, I sit there by myself, it's actually kind of sad when I think about it, I sit there by myself in the passenger seat, I scarf down my sandwich, and it's starting to rain a little bit. So they had mentioned that they have an umbrella in their back seat, so I hop out of the car and open the back door and grab the umbrella, and then I shut the back door, and then I lock the passenger door and shut it. And then I pat my key uh, uh, pocket to find out which side the key is on. And then, you know what I mean when the, your heart rate goes from like 60 to 180? That happened. I said, I, tell me I didn't just do that, that I didn't just lock. Here's a man, nice enough to let us ride along, and now I've locked him out of his car. So I, uh, I pull on the handle, and I think, surely this isn't happening. And I walk around, and I, go, and I pull on the uh, driver's side door. And about that time, I hear a big applause on the soccer field and I glance up and uh, our team is celebrating and I look over there and they're all patting my son Abel on the back he's just scored a goal first goal of the season and I didn't see it and in there I'm kind of excited about that it's very much tempered by the reality I have to go tell Jonathan we're locked out of the car so I walk over to him, and he's, he said, you, you, did you see Abel scored a goal? And, and I, I'm kind of thinking these are the waning moments of him being excited. Like I'm about to say something to him, and so I do. I say, hey, uh, that's, that was, that's exciting. I actually have some bad news. He said, what? I said, I locked your keys in the car. He said, no, you didn't. He, I said, no, no, I really did. And I think it was on the fourth time of me saying, no, I really did, that he said, oh, you really did. Now we're stuck, locked out. All's well that ends well. Let's just say, here's a little plug for AAA, right? AAA showed up, got us back in the car right as the game ended. But here's the point of the illustration. Forgiveness 
is the key that unlocks the abundant life. We've been talking about that recently, that Jesus desires you to have a life that he describes as abundant. But without forgiveness, you're kind of locked out of that life. And you can fill life up with all sorts of things. And I said, only I would lock myself out of a car, miss my son scoring a goal, lock another person out while a hurricane is coming. But then, AAA, the guy's name was Seth, he showed up. Opened the door, got the key, and we were good. But here is what I want to tell you. In the Lord teaching us to pray, one of the things he says we need, not that it's good to have, not that it will supplement a good life, one of the things we need is to be forgiven. I think on my sermon outline, I've got three points. We're probably only going to make it through the first one. And the first one is we need, the first point is we need to be forgiven by God. And friends, any relationship that involves sinners is going to require forgiveness. So if you have a relationship with God, any semblance of walking with God, learning from God, trusting God, it's going to be on the basis of forgiveness. Kind of the key to your marriage is forgiveness. The, the key to maintain unity as a church, there will be times we have to forgive. But is forgiveness really possible? What does it mean to forgive? I'm talking about what does it mean to really forgive? Now, some of us are locked out in one of two ways. Either we haven't fully understood how God has forgiven us, or we're withholding forgiveness from someone we should give it to. Now, one of the helps of studying verse by verse through the prayer Remember where it started? Our Father in heaven, you know this, hallowed be your name. Do you know forgiveness hallows the name of the Father? Forgiveness honors God. Your kingdom come. You know how often the kingdom of God shows up in power? On the basis of forgiveness. Your will be done. Do you know, do you know when sometimes in your life or in the life of a church, revival happens? It's when forgiveness from God is understood, and forgiveness towards others overflows from it. Forgiveness is at the heart of hallowing the Father's name. In other words, there's, no, there's nobody who hallows his name that isn't living life on the basis of forgiveness. So when the kingdom of God comes in transforming power, forgiveness is always present. There's no entry into the kingdom of God without forgiveness. Amen? But is forgiveness really possible? Can a thief be forgiven? Can someone who's taken a life be forgiven? Can the adulterer be forgiven? Can somebody who's lived for years with secret sin that nobody knows about, can they really be forgiven? And too, too often the concept of forgiveness is a little too abstract. We say the word and affirm that it's important, but somehow don't really experience in our souls the liberating, life-changing power of the forgiveness of God. We, we kind of remain in a bit of a prison. And, and we're told there's all sorts of ways to overcome 
bad habits and repeated failures. There's therapies and formulas and willpower. We can have an app for that, right? But, but y'all, those things only produce self-righteousness. This is important because the only sin that can be defeated is a sin that is forgiven. The only sin that can be overcome is a sin that is forgiven. So we need to be forgiven by God. There in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So what does it mean to forgive? We get the basic idea right from just kind of thinking through this verse, right? Forgive us our debts. So what does it mean to forgive? Forgive means that you cancel a debt. To forgive means you don't make someone pay what they owe. Now, it's not saying you don't owe anything. That's not what forgiveness is. It is saying... I release you from paying what you owe. So it's not just moving past it. It's not just acting like it never happened. It's not just let's pretend and move on. We don't ever really move on, right, when when you approach it that way. When, When God forgives us, it means that he promises never to hold our sin against us to justify rejecting us. Now, what, what I want to do is, uh, is to see a time in a particular relationship that Jesus forgives somebody. So we can see what happens and, and then turn around and see that this is how forgiveness happens with, with us. So, so let's take a few minutes. I, I think it's interesting when we read Matthew 18. Do you remember who it was that came up to Jesus and said, how many times should I forgive? Remember who it was? It was Simon Peter, right? Simon Peter's always the one talking, and, he, and, and he's, the, he's the example that I want to use this morning. I think that's part of why we have so much detailed information about Peter in the Gospels, is uh, how Jesus treats him is very much how he's going to treat you in grace. So if you're in Matthew, let's turn together to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 Verse 33, Peter said to him, now this is right at the time of the Lord's Supper, right at the time of communion, which we'll observe here in a few minutes. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So he's saying, before before we're even done with today, not in the next week, not in the next month, before we can even get through the day, you're going to deny that you know me three times. So verse 54, after Jesus is arrested, they seized him and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. 
And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. You see the fire's going, and enough light to see Peter's face, and it's a little girl. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. Verse 59. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Well, can we think for a moment together about verse 61? The Lord turned and looked at Peter. What what do you think that look looked like? Is that the right way of asking it? What, what do you think the facial expression on Jesus' face was when he looked at Peter? Jesus looks at you like nobody else looks at you. You know what I mean? Like Jesus looks at you and he sees the real you. And honestly, y'all, we, we don't see ourselves as we really are until we've looked at Jesus looking at us in a manner of speaking. Now we can see who we really are. And in that moment, Peter remembered Have you ever, it's not just, have you ever not done something that you said you would do, but have you ever done exactly the opposite of what you promised you would do? We're just a couple of hours from, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Fast forward, I don't even know him. There's not too many insults worse than somebody who knows you pretending like they don't, right? One of the most uh, heart-aching memories I have came from when I was in middle school. Went to Golden East Mall with my dad, who was not with it when it came to fashion. I mean, we showed up at Golden East... And I saw some friends from school, and I started to distance myself from my dad. And one of them came up and said, isn't that your dad? You know when you're in middle school how foolish you are? You're like, this is not a lie that I'm going to be able to perpetuate, right? And I said, I don't know, uh-uh, he's not, he's not here. How crazy is that? Now, there was my dad in his shorts and black socks pulled up to the knees and a plain white t-shirt that was about two sizes too small and this big felt cap that actually kind of became popular in the early 2000s but in 1990 was not kind of a thing and and he said that is your dad I've been to your house this is how foolish it is right say I don't even know him I think about that now it's just a it's just a worst it's just a worst feeling but let's go back to the look In his 
In his book, uh, I think it's called uh, Eight or Nine Things God Does With Your Sin, Sam Storms writes about this passage, and he said there's all kinds of looks that happen between human beings. You know, every human emotion can be communicated through the eyes, right? I mean, my six-month-old Jenna, she's never said a word, but she's displayed all sorts of emotions with her facial expression. So Sam Storms, right, there's the intimidating stare of two boxers in the ring. Do you, do you think that's how Jesus looked at Peter? When, when the rooster crows and Jesus turns around and looks at him like, like that. We have the phrase, if looks could kill, right? Where does that come from? That somebody can give you a look, that what it communicates, you're like, man, if looks could kill, I'd be done. There's also the I told you so look. Have you ever received that? It usually kind of goes like this. It's always this kind of head turn. And Do you think that's what Jesus did to Peter? I told you so. Three times, rooster crowing. There's the look of anger. There's a look your mama gives sometimes in church, right? When you've been a little too, and there's just look, right? There's the condescending look of smug superiority. Maybe the most painful of all, the disappointing look. The sad shaking of the head with eyes that say, I knew I couldn't trust you. Do you think that's how Jesus looked at Peter in that moment? With anger, resentment, disappointment, disdain? I I don't think it was any of those things. When Peter locks eyes with Jesus, I don't think it's anger or resentment or disappointment. I think it's something far worse and far better. Worse in the sense of how it shatters Peter's heart and better because of what it could do in Peter's heart after the shattering. I think what shone most clearly in the eyes of Jesus when he turned and looked at Peter was grace. It's grace. I think there's something about our sinful hearts that would prefer resentment. You know what I mean? Disdain, disgust, disappointment. It's what we expect. Tell me what I owe. Where is Jesus when he looks at Peter? And here's a way to maybe theologically understand it. He's in Peter's place. Here's grace. The, the one that I owe is the one who's going to pay. Look at verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They blindfolded him and kept asking, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. And if you keep reading, Jesus 
is going to stand before Pilate, then before Herod, and then be nailed to the cross. Forgiveness is not based on the debt being forgotten. It is on the basis of the debt being paid by another. You can be forgiven. Like, really? You can be forgiven. This is the key that unlocks an abundant life. Some of us are stuck right where Peter was, weeping bitterly. How can I make it right? How can I pay him back? How can I have it to do over again? You can't, you can't, you can't. But could God give you the grace that you could lock eyes with the one who says, I can, I am, I will, and praise God, hallelujah, we live on this side of the cross where Jesus said, it is finished. You can be unlocked from shame, from guilt, from having to try harder and do more. He's done it in full. Praise God. Hallelujah. We can, we can use Jesus' teaching about this. The king said to the servant, I release you. This is what Jesus is doing on the cross. It's really not the physical agony as brutal as that would have been to endure when God pours out his wrath on Christ, that is what has Jesus in agony praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there's any way for this cup to pass from me, what's he talking about? The just, righteous wrath of God against our debts. If there's any way for these debts to be paid other than me having your wrath, Father, poured out on me. Let's do that. And here's the answer to the prayer. There is no other way. There is no other way. I just want to read to you some of the things that God says he does with our sin in Christ. Jesus cleanses us from sin. You don't have to be in prison feeling unclean. He covers our sin. He casts all our sin behind his back. He removes our sin as far as east is from west. He passes over our sin. He tramples our sin underfoot. He casts our sin away into the sea. He's blotted our sin. He's forgotten our sin and refuses to remember it. Well, one more passage I want us to see so we understand forgiveness. And turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark 16 and verse 1. So if you're in Luke, one Bible book back is Mark. And we're in the last chapter of Mark. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. 
You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, right there in verse, into verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Why, why that? Why do you think? Because there's something in Peter that feels like he's done something that when the disciples get together, Jesus is alive, that he's not included anymore. And he feels like he's not included because what he did back at the fire, right? Don't even know him. Disciples are people who make Jesus known. How am I going to be included in now making him known? So why does the message go forth specifically to say, tell his disciples and Peter? Peter gets singled out. Peter gets the personal invite, right? So what is the invitation to? We see it, right? Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So what's the invitation to? The invitation is to Jesus. I'm going to meet with Jesus. And there's something in Peter that says, either I'm not included or I don't want to go there, right? What's he going to do to me when I get there? So what's the, what's the invitation to, y'all? Let's think about it. Do you think it's to a lecture? Jesus is going to be standing there. Disciples, I want you all to hear this now. Peter, I'll give you a lecture. Again, there's something in our hearts that we'd say, well, I'd, I'd almost, I'd, I, I can understand if that was what the invitation was. Or is it a, a recounting of all the ways that Peter disappoints Jesus? Or is it going to be an assignment where Jesus gives Peter, here's all that you need to do to make up for what, he, what you did? What's the invitation to, y'all? We're about to have communion. That's why this is so important. What's the invitation to? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's hard for us, isn't it? I was sharing with the Sunday school class earlier. We don't do well with receiving gifts. Like, have you ever been out to lunch and somebody says, I'm going to pay for this? And a fight almost breaks out, right? Come and bring the check, and there it is. And people, two people try to grab it. Drinks are spilling. And even, even if you say, okay, 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 I'll let you get it. What do you say next? This time. With the implication being, the next time we get together, I'm going to get it. And we'll go to a fancier place so that I don't owe you anything. And then, even when someone else covers the bill, we stand up and say, oh, well, I'll get the tip. I'll leave the 18, 20%, whatever. Because we just can't hardly take it. It's by grace you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. So that no one may boast. It's an invitation to a, a restoration. It's an invitation to a cleansing hope. It's an invitation that Peter knows he's still included. And y'all, not just included as in 
put up with. Well, I guess you got to invite Peter too. No, it's included as in wanted. I want Peter there. And, you know, it's, it's an invitation to, to a restoration, but also, if you know the passage in John, to an assignment. I'm not done with you. I'm not discarding you. I'm still going to use you. Hey, how about this? God only uses forgiven people. It's the only people God uses are those who've been forgiven. An invitation for Peter to know Jesus is still with him. Jesus is still for him. Jesus still loves him. And Jesus has forgiven him. I can't prove this, and I don't want to stretch this too far, but when, but when Peter showed up, I, I, I just kind of think that the way Jesus looks at him in that moment is the same way he looked at him on the night of betrayal. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't think something about Peter, oh, and then later on, right? On the cross... Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them. The debt we owe has been placed on Christ. So here's what's offered in Jesus. When God looks upon you, it's grace upon grace upon grace. So here's my closing question. See, there's two barriers here. We can think of them as the locked door, right? If if forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door to the abundant life, there's two barriers. Number one, to say, I don't really think I need to be forgiven. I I I mean, when I look around, I kind of compare my life to other people. I'm kind of measuring up okay. Oh, that's the oldest trick in the book of the devil, to say you should compare yourself with other people. Wrong comparison, right? The comparison is between you and Christ. And if God would give you the grace to see that, you'd say, well, okay, now that changes everything. It does change everything, doesn't it? So the one barrier is to say, I don't really need to be forgiven. The other barrier is to think you've done too much to be forgiven. In other words, one would say, Jesus on the cross isn't really necessary, so I'm not really all that bad. The other was to say, Jesus on the cross isn't enough. And both of those lies come straight from the devil. He is both enough and necessary. The only way for us to have our debt paid in full is Jesus taking it instead of us. So, as we take a step together to communion, we get a seat at the table on the basis of forgiveness. Isn't that good news? And, and a hallmark of those who've been forgiven is they're forgivers. We'll talk more about that uh, next Sunday as Jesus teaches there in Matthew chapter 18. But, but let's hang here for a moment. Have you ever asked for, received been blessed by, live in, and trust that God has completely 
and eternally forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Have you ever done that? I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray together. If something about that kind of resounds in your heart or there's conviction, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And he say, I, I don't know if I've ever received the forgiveness that God has for me in Christ Jesus. My plan in the next couple of minutes is to plant my feet here at the front. And it'd be by joy to pray with you, to talk to you, to listen to you. Would you pray with me? It's more than we know to think or ask or imagine. Forgiveness. We don't think often we deserve it, and that's, that's true. We, we don't think we can earn it, Father, and that's true. But we can receive it. So, Father, first of all, I pray for those in the room that are followers of Jesus. They have faith in the Son of God. But for whatever reason, they're not living an abundant life. They're not regularly seeing victory over sin. Any number of things, whether it's bitterness or anger or fear, anxiety, lust, greed, jealousy, has just lodged in their heart somehow in a way that Things feel locked up. So God, would you give anybody that's in the room that's like that this morning a a gloriously refreshing reminder of how we are forgiven in Christ Jesus. I believe often a new season of victory in the Christian life is spurred on with remembering how precious the cross, the blood, of Jesus is. So rescue us from any deception that says, God's paid for most of it, but I still got some debt. Forgive us our debts, Father, in Jesus' name. And then I pray for anybody that's here today and they've never received your forgiveness. God, would you, by the power of the gospel, Bring them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.